Vajon? Thank you for the uh, privilege of being able to share today. Peter said about preaching, I don't think I'm in that league, but I certainly appreciate the opportunity to share what God's laid in my heart. But before I do, I just want to thank you and thank this church for their for win and myself for this incredible support that you've given us and uh, even the food and all the nice little things. I mean, it, it really is... Uh, so we're thoughtful of you and we have appreciated it immensely. And <clears throat> um, what I feel that, uh, as, Peter, as Peter has talked about the, the journey, it's been a long journey back in, I hate talking about, I hate people talking about the realnesses, but just to fill you in a little bit, in 1995, uh, I was diagnosed with inoperable cancer back those days. And... Uh, went to Germany and had treatment and um, I'm still here today by the grace of God. We've seen some incredible miracles uh, in my own physical life over that period. As Peter said, from breaking my back to a subdural hemorrhage in the brain and a heart operation which went terribly bad and, and uh, God sustained me through it all. And I'm still here by the grace of God and I just want to share today a... Uh, few things that, are, that have been very, very important to me. I want to talk to you about the foundations of your life, your spiritual life. They will determine your ability to handle the storms of life. And you all know the story about, in uh, Matthew 24-7, about the house built upon the sand and the house built upon a rock. And uh, no matter how good the structure is, you can have the greatest reinforced structure that you can put together, the highest grade concrete, um, just incredibly strong. But if the foundation is bad, it's not going to do it much good because it's going to come down. And the story of the house on the sand, and Jesus was talking about that, he said, great will be the fall thereof. <clears throat> and our foundations, and I believe in a lot of people's lives, are very, very, um, uh, they're not strong. And I guess I want to start with this um, particular scripture, which I guess is a story, of my a story of my life to this point. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. And I'm totally reliant on God for my existence, as we all are. But uh, especially when your life is sometimes hanging by a thread. And... Uh, but I've always trusted God, and it's been a journey of faith. We don't serve God with conditions attached. One foot in, in each camp, observing but never committing. To serve God, you need to be committed. A lot of people, when you married your wife, for those who are married, you didn't marry her because you looked at her and you observed her, and then you asked her to marry her asking her to marry you. There was a place of where you trusted one another and you were, you were comfortable with one another, that you were comfortable about going into a life commitment. And that's what something like that is with the Lord. There's been many valley, valleys, I guess, and uh, James 1 says, 
we counted all, all joy when we uh, entered into diverse temptations. Um, because the trial of our faith works patience. And uh, I suppose one of the early things that uh, when I first became a Christian, I was so excited. I was incredibly enthusiastic. I guess I, I uh, wish I had a little bit of enthusiasm now, but uh, it was an exciting time of finding God, reading the Word of God, uh, and, and just almost having it leap out of the page at you. Just so, here was God speaking to me. And uh, I, I would declare every day my love and my faith and my trust in Him. And uh, sometimes God, in his uh, wisdom, will put you in a position where you have to put that into practice. And I'll never forget uh, those days I, I was had a good friend in Brisbane. He's a Murray Islander, and he happened to be completely blind. He wasn't born blind. But uh, he worked in an abattoir, got a, a germ in his eyes, and... He lost his sight completely, but he never ever showed any bitterness. He was an incredible man. He walked in such faith and such power. I liked being around the guy. And I used to go down quite regularly because he used to preach to his uh, a lot of Murray Island groups around Brisbane. And uh, uh, I'd go down and he'd preach three times a day. I'd take him to the morning meeting and he'd go for it there. And I mean, he'd preach up a storm and, he'd, and then it'd be afternoon and then night. And uh, this particular time I went down... And we had a, he had a great day. He, he uh, saw a lot of people really commit their lives to the Lord. And used to get into Musgrove Park in Brisbane, which was a um, <clears throat> sort of hangout for a lot of his people group, and uh, saw some great things happen. And that night after the meeting, um, I took him home. He lived on the north side, and we were sitting. He's always praying, Keith, and he, he had a good voice, and he's always singing too. And uh, we were praying in the car, and anyway, it was getting late, and about 10 o'clock and I thought I'd better get home and just then out of the blue just like the Holy Spirit said give me what's in your wallet and without thinking I just impulsively grabbed my money got a wallet took out my money and gave it to Keith he said what's this brother I said it's the money Keith he said and then he said to me which I thought was a bit strong how much is it and, and I, I told him I forget what the figure was and I you know you're sort of taking back for a second how much is it and then he started crying. And, and he said, Brother, you don't realise what I've been praying. I needed exactly that amount of money for tomorrow. I had to pay something. And I didn't have it. And I was crying out to the Lord. And is this the Lord that was just going to say, It's okay, I'll look after you. And he said, Here you are. You turn up and you give me the exact amount. Well, I felt blessed. He was blessed. We prayed some more. And anyway, I took him to the, to the door and away I went. And I, I got at Mount uh, Wakehold somewhere and, and uh, I looked, oh, I better get, oh, the tank was nearly empty. I better get some petrol. So I was going to drive into the servo and all of a sudden I had this terrible feeling in my gut. I gave him all my money. <laughs> and, and it was just on empty. And now Brisbane's, you don't get home from Brisbane on an empty tank. And I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? And you know, panic, panic, panic. And I pulled up on the side of the road and I thought, I've got to go back and get the money off Keith. And I thought, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, knocking on the door saying, Keith, I've got to get, have that, get that money back. It just didn't seem right. I thought, no, it's not right. And uh, sat there and, you know, you're, um, after a little while, just like the Holy Spirit, calming influences now. Settle down and just think for a moment. 
You didn't waste the money. You gave it to your eternal servant because the Holy, my Holy Spirit prompted you to. You're obedient and now you're out of money. You think I'm going to let you down? I'll take care of you. So I thought, oh, that's wonderful, Lord. I just felt such a peace. I didn't hear any voices. I didn't know big angel, stainless steel angel turned up in the side of the road. But you know inside, you know when the Lord's speaking to you. And, uh, and I look around and thought, I know what's going to happen. Some guy's going to turn up with a tin of petrol. And I'm looking and looking and looking and uh, no, nobody inside at 10 o'clock at night. No mobile phones that weren't invented back those days. It was way before mobile phones. What am I going to do? Here am I, no petrol, how am I going to get home? And I sat there for a while and just like the Holy Spirit said, you were just saying back there with Keith how you trusted me. You still trust me. And I must admit my level of faith was sky high one, second, one minute and two seconds after it was rock bottom. I thought, you know, this great level, this man of God, this man of faith now, all of a sudden in a situation I'm, I'm starting to panic. Just like the Lord said, do you trust me? And I said, Lord, I do. Now, I, I knew it was coming, but I didn't want to hear it. Just like God said, start the motor and drive home. <coughs> And I knew it within my heart, I thought, everything you're saying to me, you're an idiot, you can't. I mean, you'll get up the road, you know, the devil, I think he sent a few demons to sort of say, don't let this guy do this thing, I mean, you know, this is not good. And then uh, your own reasoning comes in. But I thought, Lord, you said you'd look after me. And then something else came in, and it's just like the Spirit said, you are not to look at the fuel gauge. That's hard not to do, because it's just under the steering wheel. And so I sat off, pulled off under the... And away I went, and I was praying loudly. I'll tell you, I was praying and singing loudly, driving up, got to, got to Ipswich, still going, singing, praying loudly, got up to Hagsley, still going, singing, praising loudly, got to Gatton, still going, praising even more loudly, got to Helladon, praising loudly, got to Toowoomba, praising loudly, not looking at the gauge, got to Kingsthorpe, still going, got to Kumbungee where I lived, drove in the shed, and man, I was yelling by then, really top note. <laughs> now, Lord didn't do that. I got home on, don't know how he, he must have been providing the fuel, but I mean, I got home on, with no petrol. Now, I've had to buy petrol ever since, but <laughs> he only did it the once, but he was teaching me something. When we say we have faith, when we say we trust God, sometimes you say, do you really trust me? Or is it words? You know, we, we can be very good with, that, with believing, yes, 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 I trust you, Lord. He'll say, well, let's just have a little test. He put me in a situation that I couldn't get out of. I was looking for the man with a tin of petrol. I was looking for anything. And I was, but he was saying, trust me, I'll get you through this. And that was one of the, probably the things that really started to put some foundations in my life. You can trust God. He is, he is, he is a, a trustworthy person. God, he will never let you down. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He means it. I'll never leave you alone. He means it. He said, when the scripture says, call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things, he means it. It's not just simple words. He means what he says. And all you weary and heavy laden come unto me and I'll give you rest. He means it. it. It's not just words or poetry. He will deliver every time without, without fail. Oh, how's my time? I haven't even started hardly. 
You know, when I, I uh, my early uh, walk with the Lord, some some little lady at a conference somewhere gave me a promise box. I don't know if the older ones have ever heard, heard of a promise box. A uh, little box of scriptures. They were a little rolled up and like a scroll. You'd get them out and all the scriptures in there. All, and it was great. I missed. I carried this little box over here, drag them out and read all this. And it's a great way to learn the scriptures. But the only thing was, the only thing was in the promise box were all the positive ones, all the the good things, until I was reading one day in Hebrews, you know, Hebrews 11, and uh, it was a uh, it was a bit of a shock to me. Uh, the first part of Hebrews, uh, or that verse in Hebrews 11, um, where I'll just get it. Man, I was excited when I read this. <coughs> And 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would far tell me of the Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and, and uh, Jesaphat, whatever his name is, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I said, oh, this is good stuff. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, become valiant in battle. Turn to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. Hey, what happened here? We were stopping the, the armies and stopping lines. Women receiving their dead. And then the very next, in the middle of that verse, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had the trial of mockings and scourging. Yes of chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, not good, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and the dens and the caves of the earth. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. <clears throat> I was pretty excited to be part of the first group. But I thought, where is the victory getting sawn in two? Where, where is the victory getting flogged with, with, uh, with, with uh, whips and stoned and, and slain with the sword? It seemed almost a contradiction. But it isn't, folks. Because life is not all about this life. It's about what he's preparing us for. And I'm going to say we, these people in the, la in the latter part of, of Hebrews were no less uh, part of God's purposes than the first group. I'd like to be in the first group, but the second group, and it says the world wasn't worthy of them. And I start to read that and it, um, my bubble started to get a bit, uh, bit started to get a bit pricked because I thought I used to find all of the promise box, all the good stuff, but the Lord is interested in changing our character. He's interested in making something of us more godlike because we certainly need it. Society's attitude to the to the Bible, to God, in this we all know that it's it's changed drastically in the forty eight years that the Lord since the Lord got hold of my life, I've seen some incredible changes. 
where once the Bible was considered a holy book and to be once somebody said, well, the Bible says that was the end of the story. There was a, there was a certain respect and a reverence for God. Not these days. It's, he's mocked. It's, the Bible is considered nothing more than just a book of fables and so on. You know, we society's attitude has been changed drastically and, and I think in a lot of cases uh, a lot of Christians struggle too. You know, when you look at Genesis 1, the majesty of creation, and Psalm 102 says, The heavens are the work of thy hands, and we've been created in God's image. With <clears throat> and that's when you think of the heavens, I mean the creation. I saw a program on um, uh, television not long ago about the precision of the heavens. This guy was an astronomer, and uh, he wasn't a Christian until he started to really uh, look very, very closely at, at the heavens and the way things, and he said everything is down to a millisecond, the way the planets are all moving together. And he said if everything got out of kilter, just a tiny little bit, it would be a chain reaction and the whole thing would be chaos. And he became a Christian because he said the precision of the heavens itself speaks of somebody, some divine hand in the whole thing. And he became a Christian as a result of it. And that's what we need to remind ourselves. Who is the God we serve? He's not Santa Claus. He's the almighty God. He's the supreme being. He's the one who created everything. And that everything that was and is and is to come. But he's given, he's, we've been created in his image, but we've, he's given us a free will with boundaries. In Genesis 2, 16, 17, talks about what happened in the garden. And uh, God said to Adam, of all the trees, all the fruit trees in the garden, you may eat, freely eat, except the one in the centre of the garden, the tree of good, of a tree of, uh, help me, good and evil. You may not eat, for the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now that's pretty tough stuff. I mean, he was, he was Adam, God's um, pinnacle of creation. He was, he was created in the image of God. He used to talk in the garden, walk in the, in the cool of the evening. I mean, he was, he was more than just uh, a creation. He was God's friend. And yet God said, you touch that, you eat that, you're going to die. No, three three um, and you're out three strikes and you're out it was a you touch that one bang you're gone and then we know the story because the devil comes along and says did God say did he really say in other words God's a liar God said if you did, this is going to happen it's going to happen the devil comes along and says he isn't there in other words he's a liar and they bought it and we know the whole creation was plunged into sin because of it If it happened in today's society, you could imagine the uproar. It wouldn't be allowed. You can't kick him out of the garden because they sinned once. You've got to give them three uh, letters of, of notification and then they've got to go to counselling. You can't do that. Listen, God makes the rules and whether we like to change the rules or whether we fiddle around with them, is, is doesn't make any difference to God. The rules he sets stay. Now we've seen of recent weeks a political party who's decided in their wisdom that uh, uh, homosexual marriage is, is okay because of the 21st century and things uh, should be changed. I mean, it's all about love. Is it? I don't think so. God set the rules way back in the book of Genesis. 
man, woman. And after that, the family is a result of that union. We can change, people say we're breaking God's laws. No, we're not. You can't break God's laws. You can violate them, but you can't break them. They're still there, whether we like it or whether we're not. Someday we'll be judged by those laws that God sets down. We can change as much as we like. It doesn't affect God. Nor It's just like that they come up next week and say, as from the 1st of January, <clears throat> we've declared uh, as um, the uh, government of this land that gravity is no longer in existence. Now, that makes as much sense as, so well, that's crazy. Well, it's a law. It's one of the laws of the universe, one of the laws of nature. Gravity is there and it'll be there until God changes things. But we can't fiddle around with God's laws. He makes the, the, uh, the laws and we need to be careful how we obey them. The entire creation, as I said before, is governed by laws. We have civil, natural and spiritual laws. And Romans 8 says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. They're spiritual laws. Uh, and whether we like it or not, they're in operation. Uh, and uh, there's no doubt about that at all, because the word of God says so. And it, it's proven, uh, it's outworking in our lives. God Almighty's absolute authority, he answers to no one. He's high above all other deities and gods, controls everything by the word of his power. The heavens tremble, the earth shakes, the psalm says. Just reading through the psalms alone, where it talks about the glory of God, the majesty of the heavens, the, the, uh, the beauty of nature, and it goes on and on. I guess you've all read the psalms. It's just a beautiful illustration of, of what God is like. And the heavens tremble at his word. Uh, Philippians 2, 9-10 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which, above every name, that at the name, every, at, at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven, things in earth. Every knee shall bow, not some not the ones who believe in God, every knee, whether they like it or not, whether they love God or whether they've stood against God and rebelled against God, someday they'll bow the knee. It's too late for them. But we'll bow the knee because we, we love God. How can it be that the God who created the world and the solar system, everything that lives and exists by the word of his mouth and power and authority, so awesome to explain, can be so easily dismissed and ignored by man? And I, I suppose that you've only got to look at the programs on TV, you've only got to look at the commentaries. They ignore everything about them that, that screams, this is the work, handwork of God, this is God but they choose to ignore it. And it's such a, a battle. And unless we have constantly remind ourselves of the God whom we serve, now you'll, you'll often see uh, the big debates raging where Christianity is, uh, can't have preeminence over the other religions in, in public places, schools and whatnot, and they're trying to bring it down to, well, there's all these other religions, you're only one of those. 
and the church is being forced into a corner where you can't do this, you can't do that, because they're as good as yours. We're all the same. Isn't this the way the world is going? The pressure is that what you've got is only another religion, where in fact it is the only religion. What did God say in, in, in Genesis? He said to the children of Israel, I'm the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he means what he says. He didn't say, well, uh, you can have a few other gods, but I'd prefer to be at the top of the tree, but, you know, if you feel comfortable. No, he said, you'll have no other gods before me. And then he goes on to say, you shall have no other, make no graven image of anything that resembles anything in heaven or the earth or in the oceans. You will not bow down to anything. And then he goes on to say in, 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 uh, further on in that, in that chapter, I'm a jealous God. In other words, he means what he says and he says what he means. We, in today's society, says, well, three strikes, four strikes, and then you go to counselling. No, God says something and he means it. You better obey. Our view of, our view of heaven... <clears throat> The Earth's view of heaven. I saw a program um, called Give Me an Answer. It's about a guy who goes around the various campuses in the US, university campuses, and he debates with the students about uh, heaven, hell, Christianity, all this sort of stuff. 99% of the, and 1.5% of the time, the people that he talks to are very anti-God, very aggressive against anything Christian. And this one young guy, he said, what do you think about heaven and hell? And he said, well... I'll go to heaven if there's plenty of booze, parties and hot chicks. But if there's none there, I don't want to go there. Uh, I want to, I'll probably go to hell where all the party are, parties are happening. And this is a lot of the view of a lot of, uh, of people these days. They think that, no, it's, it's just a, a lot of them said, oh, there's no such thing. Heaven, there's no such thing. It's a fantasy. No such thing as hell. No, there is, folks. There is. You all know that. We know that. But... The world is constantly trying to tell us that it's really, it doesn't matter. There is a big difference, I mean, in, in the, on the uh, light spectrum, God and Satan, white, black, absolute, absolute end, different ends of the spectrum, no, no shades in the middle. And yet what's happened to us? In society today, we have, instead of white, we have a, a light coloured, we've got a cream colour. Instead of black, we've got light brown. And they mix them together and it looks like uh, Cadbury swirl chocolate, doesn't it? We have this mixture where it really doesn't matter anymore. But as far as God is concerned, it matters. We have to keep our focus. Who are we serving? Who is this God we serve? And very, very important. I guess it's been something that's been the, that supported me all of my life, is to keep focused on, on, on who God is and what he says. He means... And he is faithful to carry out everything that he's ever said. Satan has been incredibly effective. He, he was a, a created being, an angel, uh, in, before he was thrown out of heaven. He rose up against God. And uh, pride was his big problem, of course. But for somebody who hasn't got guns and tanks and bullets, he's been incredibly effective. And how does he do it? He makes... He approaches us just like he did Adam and Eve in the garden. And he, he works on our minds. He works on our what we're thinking. 
he's there suggesting all the time. And so often, people buy the whole thing. They, they buy his lie. And you've only got to look around at the world and see the mess we're in. And he's been very, very effective in, in the way he has got, has got around people and turned their hearts away from God. God lives in, a, in heaven, a place of absolute glorious light, peace, joy, uns unspeakable, and it's full of glory, a safe place, a place of friendship, trust, love, excitement, wonders, beholding the face of Jesus forever in a place of worship, singing, praising, being part of God, God's ever-expanding creative power. There's no more death or pain or sorrow or sickness or disease in heaven. It is a place of unspeakable joy, a place where God is, a place where that he's intended for us, a place that he has come to redeem, sent Jesus to redeem us back unto himself, that we will share heaven with him forever and ever and ever. Hell, on the other hand, which the world never talks about, and a lot of churches don't talk about it, it's a place of darkness, of fear, pain, loneliness, sheer terror, torment, the agony of knowing it's too late to repent and being separated from God forever. It's a place of regret, hopelessness, no friends, never-ending sorrow and misery. I wonder why people are always talking about party time and hell. There is none. There never will be. And yet people play around as if, oh, it's okay. Shrug the shoulders. Folks, we need to remind ourselves often, the price that Jesus paid on the cross was so horrific um, I guess you've all seen that, that the, movie, the movie The Passion of Christ. And I believe that depicts closer to the mark <clears throat> how Jesus was on the cross than a lot of the crucifixes we've seen with the little dots of red here and here and here on a white body. It says in, in Isaiah that he was, he, he was so badly beaten and mauled and, and whacked around he couldn't recognise him. And I think... The movie depicts it very, very accurately. He didn't pay that sort of a price just because he thought it was a good thing to do at the time. He paid it that he would redeem us from hell. He would redeem us back to God. He's made the connection between God and man once more. We have free access to God. And so often we could take it so cheaply. Oh, it's almost, oh yeah, well... Folks, we need to remind ourselves every day, every day, what it cost God, what it cost Jesus, and also give thanks for the, the incredible gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ, our salvation. Everyone that's ever lived will spend eternity in either heaven or hell, Think about that. Everyone will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. Now, if we had our way in today's society, we'd have heaven, hell, the Gold Coast, Bali, New Zealand, a few other places. No, folks, there isn't any other places. You'll either be in heaven or you'll be in hell. And that's a pretty frightening thing. I mean, for what we've got in Christ Jesus, our salvation is so precious. There is no price on it. We can't put a price on it. <clears throat> you 
Matthew 18:11 For the son of man came to save that which was lost. He came to this this is the word of God. Romans 10:13 For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord. God through Jesus has restored our relationship with uh, with him. We have to maintain it and protect it. Our enemy who seeks every uh, he'll seek every opportunity to destroy us. Now, it's once you get saved, it's not sit in the Jason Rocker, feet up, sip, sipping lattes and nibbling on Monte Carlo biscuits. You've got a responsibility. We all have. And I think we need to take more seriously the responsibility that God has laid on us. <clears throat> I'll give you just look at a few scriptures. James 4.7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Who's resisting? Us, the people of God. Resist him. He's going to come and visit you sooner or later. Just because you say the devil doesn't say, oh, another one gone. Too bad. I'll concentrate on the ones in the, in the pubs. No, he's going to double his efforts to bring you down. He's after us. Resist him and he will flee. You resist him. Can't be saying, oh God, you resist him. Colossians 2.8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Beware, be on your guard. Don't be, don't be dumb. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armour of God that you will be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. And we know the rest of that story, what the whole armour of God is, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of, the, of peace, I mean, it depicts an, uh, a man in armour. And what does he do? He's not going to stand there like a, like a, a wet cabbage. <laughs> what do you do? What do soldiers do when they've got their, uh, their armour on? And the sword. He's ready, for a, he's ready for a fight, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's, he's not going out there in his, in his uh, speedos and a singlet with a pointy stick. The Lord has given him, given us weapons. I mean, to say they're spiritual weapons, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we need to know how to use the, the, the soldiers and say, hey, what's this thing? Oh, it's a big, sharp thing. He'll be trained in, in warfare. Soldiers don't spend all the day in the barracks uh, sleeping. They, they get trained. We have some military men here. They get trained. Taught how to use things. Put on the whole armour of God. Who puts it on? We do. God doesn't arm wrestlers and put a headlock and put the, oh, I don't want that on, you're going to have it on. I don't want that, no, you've got to put it on. No, he says, you put it on. Put on the whole armour of God. Something we've got to do. First Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Talking to now, Paul's talking to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. What's he talking about? He's not talking about about um, uh, Xboxes or something. He's talking about dealing with an enemy who's trying to destroy us. And he's given us the equipment. He's given us the ability. He said, now you go and use it. And if we lie down in bed, oh, I don't feel like it. Well, we need to have a, a good hard look at what God's saying. He also says in the Word of God, study to show yourself approved of God. Study what? Not dirty magazines, 
not the, the latest form guide, not all the, the gossip columns that, um, about who, the latest star who's sleeping with whom. Study the word of God, for in it you'll find the issues of life. I mean, I forget that the rest of the scripture, but it's talking about getting your head in and getting to know what God says about himself, about you, and about where we're going in this life, about eternal life. <clears throat> Luke 9, uh, where this is where 9.23, and this is Jesus saying, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, there was Jesus talking about somebody getting hold of, of a uh, uh, plank of wood with a cross beam on it and dragging that around every day? Is that what he's talking about? No, he isn't. He's talking about take, take up your cross daily. What does the cross speak of? It speaks death. That's what the cross is. The cross isn't... I mean, we, we see everyone wearing a little gold cross. But when you think of what it represents, it's a, one of the cruelest means of execution that's known to man, I think. Hanging somebody, nailing somebody on a cross. We have to nail our the, the, the ungodly desires daily on the cross because we're going to be tried daily. I'm sure you will. I, I think there's been a day in my life where you, you can get through without some sort of pressure being put on you. And we have to deliberately say, I'm... I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to look at that filthy book. I'm not going to look, if you happen to be on, and particularly thinking about the men, like it's happened sometimes, and I was on my computer thing, looking at, uh, trying to bring up something about a, uh, some, some plumbing I was doing somewhere, and watch it pop up. I don't know how it got there. A porno site. And all I had to do was press the next button, and it would have been a, an incredible display of, of filth come on them. So I deleted it and I made sure that that site was no longer allowed. I had it stopped. The temptation is for young men, oh, nobody around, nobody around. Just have it, might hurt to have a quick look. You'd better believe somebody's around. The Lord said he'd be with you and in, in you to the end of the age. He's there. So what, do you, what are we looking at this garbage for? Devil saying it won't hurt. I mean, you know, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. They probably are. Doesn't mean to say we've got to do it. Remember the story about Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal. Four hundred and fifty of them on Mount Carmel. The children of Israel waffling all over the place. Didn't know who they want to serve. And he said, "How long will you halt between two opinions?" How long will you, you be in this state of, of you don't know what you believe anymore? Hear God's people and, and they're, they're leaning towards following Baal. So 450 prophets, he gets them up on Mount Carmel. He says, choose you this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Ooh, choose you. You better choose who you're going to serve. I'm not going to force it on you. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. If it's Baal, serve him. If it's God, Serve him. And then we know the story, because you all know the story, do you? Uh, and after the fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, the stone, burnt the water up, burnt the dirt, burnt everything. And then it says, and the people, oh, now they got voice. Before, it says when, when uh, Elijah said, uh, 
you know, how, why do you hold between two opinions? He said, the, the scripture says they said nothing. Now they're not, they're, they're very sure now they've seen the power of God. Wow, they're into it. They're praising God. And so we need to be careful. <clears throat> we're in charge of what we see. We're in charge of what we allow our hands to do. We're in charge of what we allow our hear, ears to hear. You can't, God is not there with a, with a, with a, uh, we can't either turn it off, can't turn it off. No, you can hear it, you can see it and you can do it. But you better choose not to because it's not godly. We train ourselves. That's what warfare is all about. Romans 8, 13, put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the deeds of the body. I mean, it's, it's talking about the, the, the godly, godless impulses and the things that you might say and do. Our mind is the battleground. John 2.16, so all of us of, uh, of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of, of the world. I heard one preacher saying it many, many years ago. He, his translation of that scripture is gals, gold and glory. In other words, <clears throat> things that, that the devil works on most successfully is getting um, people into immorality or sexual problems getting them hooked on on money or getting them hooked on their pride on position and, on, and uh, um, being somebody in this world. <coughs> it says, not of the Father. It's not, it's not of the Father, but it's of this world. Now, I'm just going to finish shortly. You're probably saying, thank goodness for that. Um, Matthew... 11.29, this has helped me no end. We'll have a look at it, if you've got your Bible. And this is Jesus saying, and it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who knows what a yoke is? Sure you do. Do you know what a yoke is? It's a, it's, we all know, it's a piece of wood that's been cut to fit over a neck of an animal, whether it be a horse or an oxen. And the yoke goes on, the collar goes on, the harness goes on, and, and the yoke ties the neck or, of, the, of the two beasts together with a... With a heavy strap underneath so that they can't move forward, backward, sideways without the other one. And then I remember from the days of my, uh, when my uncle had horses, those big uh, Clydesdale drive, everyone had those big Clydesdale draft horses when tractors weren't so popular or they were still being developed. And horses were the order of the day. <clears throat> and, and when you put the yoke on the horse, they get the feel for one another and it keeps them in step. They pull in the one direction. They feel one another when they're turning. And so there's not one horse trying to go this way or that way. I mean, it's not chaos. They're held together. Because one, one horse is here, the other horse is there. And they're held by the yoke around the neck. And then the rest of the harness, of course, and the, the traces and the clips where they hook the 
on the back so to stop the horse from spreading out at the back. So they're tied at the front and they're tied at the back and they're in unison and they're moving. Now, if you, if you look here, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying to us, you take the yoke. He's offering it. Here's the yoke. Will you take it? He doesn't say, come here. I'm going to put the yoke on you. Headlock, yoke, and you're reluctant. He says, "Take you take my yoke. Take it. And, but the beautiful part, I love this. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not a hard thing to follow Jesus. It's not a hard thing. You know, people, I've heard it said to me, one bloke, young bloke said not long ago, he said, it's too many rules. I can't keep up with them. Like, and you know what? He's, in, he's exactly, he's completely correct. You can't live by rules. Because you can't do it on your own. But we have somebody who's called a personal trainer in today's language, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to the Comforter to come, and he will teach you and guide you in all things. It's just like having somebody 24-7 next to you saying, that's probably not a good idea, don't do that, that's going to hurt you. No, keep your eyes off that. It's like somebody there, and he is in reality. He said he'd be with us and in us to the end of the age. And the yoke... Jesus says this of himself, and I thought, what a beautiful, and I often think of myself, I thought, Lord, I just feel you, I feel your, your face here, I feel you, you're here with me, what a comfort. You know when you're going through some pretty rough spots, and the last few years I've been through a few, but I've always felt, Lord, you're there. I've asked for the yoke. I ask for often, Lord, keep your yoke on me. I don't want to be straying. While I feel safe. You feel incredibly safe. The yoke of God on your neck. Because, you know, that's where all the problems are start up here, don't they? So we're, we're attached to him. But he hasn't, doesn't get us and jam it on us. He says, here, here's the yoke, take it. Put it on. And you'll be, you'll be blessed. And I have been. And you will be. And another thing in 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You've been bought with a price. And whether we like it or whether we don't, when I love it, the world says, I'll do what I want. <clears throat> I'm my own person. We all heard that, haven't we? Oh, you know, he's a free agent. Ooh. Well, and I'd say all you are is rebellious because scripture says we don't belong to ourselves we've been bought with a price well who do we belong to? Jesus we belong to him scripture also says whomsoever you serve you're the slave of that one whether righteousness righteous God unrighteous or, or sin under the, under, the, under the devil and so you're a slave we're slaves Everyone says, oh, that's a bad word. That's a shocking word. But we're owned by God. He paid an incredible price. And you know, it's such a comfort to know that you're owned by him. And when you own something, you look after it. Don't you? You should. We're owned by God. He loves us. 
He cares for us. He says, I'll keep you close. I'll comfort you. I'll watch over you. Keep you safe. John 16, um, 13. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. In Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true. But have a look at that. It's probably a good one to um, start winding things up. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So it's a, a good bit of advice, a very good bit of advice. Colossians 2, 6, 8. I missed that one. No, here's what I missed. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, for which you were called and have confessed a good confession, confession in the presence of many witnesses. In conclusion, I'd like to say, how do we how do we keep ourselves in the in the purpose of God? It's pretty simple, really. Learn to love the things as God loves. And learn to hate the things he hates. And you, won't, and you won't go wrong. Because if we start following our own desires, I remember one time I got a, such a severe rebuke about, from the Lord about something. I had a conversation and with somebody and it wasn't altogether that pleasant. And... Um, I said to myself to try and cover myself, well, that's just the way I am. I'm a bit abrupt about something. And as quick as a flash, something come into my spirit. It might be the way you are, but it's not the way I am. Now you change. We need to be quick to hear. Slow to speak, the scriptures, quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to anger. Embrace the chastings of the Lord. Because... Scripture also says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Doesn't sound very exciting for a new Christian. You're going to get some stick. But we need it. And if we're not chastened, another scripture says, we're illegitimate. King James is much more graphic. Uses another. I want to use it here. But, <clears throat> you know, we need to ask God daily, Lord, regardless of my situation, 
we've got into such a state in this where we become, and I found myself being corrected of this years ago, always coming with a shopping basket. Come to God, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need that. And the Lord's saying, do you? Is that why you've come? And you know, it's just like a lack of appreciation. I was only thinking last night, how do we feel if you had a son or a daughter? So just say imaginary one out there. And the father and the mother and scrimping and scraping all their life to get a son, a car for their son so that when he goes to work he's got some, something to drive in. And the day comes, they get the new car, give it to the boy. He comes back an hour later and says, where's the car? He's all dishevelled and, and uh, looks a bit knocked around. Where's the car? Oh, oh, Dad, I took it for a burnout down the paddock and I was doing some burnouts and I, we leapt over a bank and it, I got out of control, hit a tree and rolled over and then it burst into flames and it burnt up. You think you can get me another one? What do you think the father would say? You know, sometimes I think that's the way we treat God. We all the time, hey, what have you got ne what's next for me? Our first and foremost responsibility is to seek the face of the Lord. Seek the kingdom of God first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all else will be added unto us. Not seek the bits that we like and ask all the time asking God, Lord, I need this, I need that, I need something else. Might all be legitimate, but let it come in its, in its right place. First things first. Worship me only, the Lord says. And uh, I hope I'll finish with that. I'm done. And uh, let's pray. <coughs> Father, I just pray that the words that I've spoken not be idle words or just filling in time, but I pray that you'll take whatever's necessary and add it to us, Lord, and convict us of areas that we need to be convicted of. But that most of all, Lord, that our, our view, our appreciation, our perception of you is what it should be, that you are the almighty God, that there is holy reverence in our lives, that we don't become presumptuous, that we don't, as, as saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt, that, Lord, we never become one where we just take you for granted, but that we are careful in our dealings with you, that, Lord, when you speak, that we will listen and obey quickly and not try to talk our way out of it. I just pray, God, today that you would continue to bless this fellowship, bless the people here. And as we fellowship in the days ahead that you will draw many people, those outside of the kingdom, Lord, that you would bring them in, that, Lord, that we'll see many souls saved and that your name shall be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. Thank you for putting up with me. And if you've got any problems about with uh, theology, we've got senior pastor here. We've got another one here. They'll straighten you. <laughs>